You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Legal Talk and Alhamdulillah, Legal Talk, very popular indeed. And I can tell you people, we really enjoy ourselves in your pious, sagacious company. Joining us is one of our regulars, um, attorney Muhammad Mia, Alhamdulillah, looking, mashallah, looking very radiant indeed. And you know why, people? Yeah. He's been to the Holy Land uh, recently. Let me welcome a uh, pious and sagacious Ummah with our attorney, Mahmoud Mia, with a hearty Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell me, Mahmoud, how are you doing this fine, uh, beautiful evening? Yeah, wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa Alhamdulillah, with the grace of Allah, doing well, Alhamdulillah. Like you had mentioned, <coughs> Allah Ta'ala gave me the ability to perform Umrah with my family now over December. <coughs> so going to Makkah and Medina is always... Uh, wonderful experience. Um, being there in December was quite different from a weather point of view. It was cold weather, uh, it was cold weather, and um, <clears throat> obviously, I mean, lots and lots of people. So it was quite a like, different experience, but Alhamdulillah, all went very well. Alhamdulillah, yes, Mahmoud. And you know, the, 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 the break, and especially uh, going to the Holy Lands, you know, it really affects your, I mean, how uh, positively it affects your, 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 your spirituality, uh, even your physicality. I mean, I, as I said, a lot of nur on you and a lot of sukun. Talk to us about that dimension, uh, Mahmoud. Yeah, so the thing is that, you know, the, the one thing is when you go to Mecca and Medina, your whole focus is now changed um, in the sense that your whole life revolves around the harams um, and your salat times um, and your tawaf times and your meeting with Uzure Park Salaam times. So, so you obviously become very much more focused um, just around that. But, you know, uh, so going to, we went to Medina first and Alhamdulillah going before the Prophet Sallallahu is, I think for me, one of the sort of most, uh, you know, beloved experiences because we are so weak and um, so uh, insignificant. And then to present ourselves before Allah Ta'ala's uh, most beloved and most beautiful creation, um, it's quite overwhelming, you know. But uh, but this is something that Allah Ta'ala alone allows us to say, you know, so we're fortunate because they say there's so much of virtues of going to meet the Prophet Sallallahu and the one of which is that he says that, you know, inshallah, he will then intercede for you on the day of Qiyamah. Um, and the thing is that, um, you know, we are told by the ulama as well that when we go there, we just succumb to all to, all, to his greatness and just all his efforts that he made for us as an ummah, you know. So we just think of all of that. Um, and we think of Sahaba Ikram, how they had uh, taken um, allegiance to him, how they had proclaimed their iman to him. So when we go there, it gives us a chance to also renew our vows of iman, you know, before him um, and, to, and, and to acknowledge us being part of his ummah um, and to request of him then to, inshallah, intercede for us and to make prayer for us as well because he is alive in his grave, you know. So, alhamdulillah, you know, it, it, it is such an experience that it's quite difficult to to sort of explain. I think people who have been there can can basically appreciate it. Uh, um, so, you know, now in Makkah and Medina, they've got lots of new restrictions with all these apps that you've got to apply to go to the Roda and all of that. So that comes with its own challenges. Um, it takes a while. Um, they, 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 they're trying to control it, but... Uh, obviously, they don't do it in the most efficient way. So sometimes you're fortunate and you get to go to the road with ease and you've got, you know, enough time and space to sort of do some nice um, ibadah. There. Although the time allowed is not too long, but at least you do it in a kind of a, a push-free environment. You know, historically, you had to push away and find a spot and now it's, it's much easier. But obviously, it's the issue of the patience that you have to wait to get to the road. So <clears throat> you've got a book on the app. And then you got to um, report uh, at the time that you book for. Then they put you in queues, and and they like literally, uh, you know, uh, uh, direct you into queues, and you just control, and you come to a waiting area. Then when your turn opens up for you, then they obviously allow you to go into the into the roda, and you spend, um, you know, just a few moments there. But that in itself is, is is nice because it's peaceful, and there's just enough people, and everybody gets a space without. Any you know fussing without too much pushing and shoving, so that makes it very much nicer. Obviously, then and together with that, your salami is is, is open twenty four hours, uh, but then also they don't allow you to spend too much of time um, to pass on your salams properly to the Prophet and to his companions. So we just got to try and you know uh, work that out as well. But alhamdulillah, like this, it gives us that opportunity. But otherwise, we just stand outside, um, you know, from where he's buried, and there we pass our salams and. And, and, and so forth, yeah. But uh, Medina, the peace of Medina is still unsurpassed. Uh, I don't think you can get that experience anywhere in the world. 
And then obviously going to Makkah, Makkah was, it's really, really hectic and the crowds were like phenomenal. <clears throat> so Makkah was a, quite a big challenge uh, in terms of crowds and so forth. And now in the uh, Haram to make Tawaf on the Mataf area, you have to be in Aram. So otherwise you've got to do your Tawaf on the second floor, which isn't very pleasant because they're doing some excavation work there. So there's lots of noise and disruption and takes a very long time. Um, so we just had to don our Aram and then to try and get as close as we can to the Kaaba and to the Tawafs as best as we can there. Zakala Keira for sharing that with us, uh, Mahmoud. As you said, uh, you know, you're being herded and you've been watched and you've been done. But as you say, you go there with a special niyat of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of, uh, you know, being in the company of the Roza Mubarak of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And you so eloquently said that Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will be making shafa'at for us on the day of uh, Yawm al-Qiyamah. And alhamdulillah, really appreciate uh, what you have brought forth. And then uh, coming, uh, you know, maybe with that... Uh, a little uh, a bit of sukoon from that holy land and you landed back in south africa and the first thing you must have heard was president versus president zuma versus uh, ramaphosa and you said you must have said hey here we go again now mahmoud your thoughts yeah you know it's, it's like just saying here we go again with here we go again you know the thing is that the circus is just uh, coming more often to town now so we have these clowns who are acting out, I mean, you know, before our courts, spending lots of taxpayers' money. Um, and the thing is that it, 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 it's such a sad state of affairs because they are dealing with everything but the real issues. And I think that's the sad part. You know, here it's basically people trying to get to each other just to try and um, and, and secure power for themselves. Um, and in the meantime, all the energies that they are placing into all of that could be you know, placed elsewhere to see what they can do to sort out this energy crisis, what they can do to increase the, you know, the status of the economy, what they can do now to deal with all the new graduates and, and school leavers that are coming into the workplace. So all of those things, there's so many issues that, that, that need to be dealt with, but instead, you know, they basically find that going to court to vent out their frustrations against each other. Uh, uh, you know, so so that is the the route that they're choosing, and I mean, this is just indicative of the caliber, um, you know, of the you know of the of the people. I mean, so it's quite sad that people who are our leaders and who are supposed to be setting examples um, are basically fighting. And what are they trying to do? They're just fighting to 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 sort of hide, you know, the wrongs and ills that they've done. You know, so there isn't any real merit in 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 all of this. It's just a kind of a personal fight, but like I said, at the expense of the taxpayer. A good point there, Mahmoud. And, you know, one was so optimistic when uh, Sir Ramaphosa was ushered in as president and now he's uh, secured a second term. But, uh, you know, there was this optimism. They said, hey, this man is very trustworthy. It seems as if, uh, I mean, the damage he did is worse than what that uh, Jay-Z. We know Jay-Z was, uh, you know, culpable and so forth. But it seems as if under, you know, uh, 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 Sir Ramaphosa, things have gone worse, uh, uh, Mahmoud. What's your thoughts? Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I, I have to agree with you there, but I mean, it's just that, I mean, it, it, it is so sad because when he came about, we thought, okay, here's somebody um, who's got uh, a good head on his shoulders and he's shown responsibility. He was part of the labor movement, and uh, which indicated that he had some some notion, uh, you know, of concern for the for the normal man in the street and and so forth. But again, I think power goes to your head. I mean, he's acquired so much of wealth and so much of power himself. Um, that for him now, this is more a kind of a hobby than, than a real responsibility. So he's a president when it suits him, and otherwise he's engaged in, in all of his own shenanigans. Um, and we know of all the millions under the, the mattress and the like. So again, you know, it just shows that there's no responsibility to the country. I mean, you know, we are all taxpayers. We don't have the opportunity of, of putting money under the mattress and all of that, but, but the president is doing that. So we can imagine, you know, if he is not willing to to, to make proper disclosure, um, you know, of his income, if he's not prepared to make, to follow the, the like, right protocols, uh, then where does that leave the normal man in the street? I mean, if he's got no confidence in the system and he's trying to evade and avoid everything, then, you know, everybody else is just is going to follow his example because there's no respect towards the country and no respect towards your obligation. So that in itself is, like, really, really, I mean, like, very, very, I mean, like, problematic. And and again, I mean, if he was a man of, 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 of virtue um, and uprightness, he would have said, listen, I, I've done wrong, I, may, I, I acknowledge it, and, and, and basically, I mean, like, take 
consequences that follow. No, but no, here there's every effort being made to to hide and not to disclose what what exactly happened. And it's just getting from sort of bad to worse. And um, so the circus, like I said, has come to town and we'll just have to wait now and see you know, where, where, the, where the grand finale is, is going to take place. Uh, absolutely, Mahmoud. And also, you know, you find that, that he is hobnobbing at Davos. And at Davos, you know, uh, many call it a axis of evil gathering. And these are people that uh, control the wealth of the world. And they will be uh, making uh, not... Uh, they are making unilateral decisions. They don't go and consult with anyone. It's their way or the highway. What's your thoughts of Davos? And uh, I think George Galloway very eloquently, he had a poll running and he said, is that an evil movement or is that a good movement? And guess what, Mahmoud? Over 80% yeah. they voted evil. What's your thoughts? Well, exactly. So the thing is, I mean, you know, they just make decisions uh, based on, 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 on their own woman fancy. There isn't much consultation. So now, I mean, we go and mix shoulders with all the, with all the big nations, hoping to get money from them um, to try and resolve all the crisis here. But the crisis and the means that they are um, encouraging us towards is not ideal. So, I mean, they don't want us to use coal anymore and then use alternate sources, which may be cheaper, but ultimately we've got lots of coal and that's, and that's most practical for us to use. So they're trying to take all our resources and they obviously then, uh, you know, uh, dangle carrots of loans and monies and promises of, of investment. Um, and obviously being, you know, the, uh, the, the African way, we obviously fall for it always. Uh, take the money, um, steal the money, use the money for ourselves, um, and then ultimately uh, then blame everybody else for what has happened. You know, so unfortunately, um, you know, the world the world politics is 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 never in the interest of um, of of the common person. It's always in the interest of those in power, and they just try and enhance their power. So you know, again, we just find ourselves getting more and more. Can you imagine now in South Africa we're plunging more and more into darkness? from two hours to now four hours, up to six hours, up to 12 hours of, of no power. I mean, that is, it's absolutely absurd. And what we're hearing is that, I mean, it's clearly that this is a kind of, it's, it's all contrived. It's all done with an ulterior purpose. And that is of trying to, to get ESCOM to surrender their power to, 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 to private enterprise. And we know who's going to be the owner of those, of those private enterprises. Because the, right now, the entity that generates the most money in South Africa is ESCOM. So, you know, every, um, every pot they're trying to get their hands into, and this is the, the killer pot, the pot with the most money. So what they are doing, they are now obviously creating all of these issues. And from what people are saying is that this, there isn't really an energy crisis. This is all created. It's contrived with a particular, uh, you know, um, ambition uh, 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 intended. And we hope that, you know, that, that this comes to the light and that these people that are involved, that, that they will be exposed and that we are all saved, you know, as, as a consumer. That, you know, we, I think that we have to also just accept that, listen, as South Africans, we are very docile. We really um, are not, we really don't take enough action against these kind of corruptions and these kind of happenings. So maybe we need to spark some kind of, 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 of um, spirit to the people. So we've got to stand up and stand for our rights and, and fight for what is what is right and, and obviously for but all of these wrongs that are taking place. So that also we need to I mean, conscientize the people. I suppose we're also involved in our in our day-to-day -day living and uh, striving to earn a, a basic uh, you know wage to, to 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 support our families and live. That all of these things and just fall to the wayside. But we hope that justice does prevail and hopefully all of these ills come to an end. You know, Mahmoud, uh, mashallah, uh, Allah bless you because, uh, you, you know, you are clued up. And you make me think here because uh, when you look at uh, Guerra Mantash, he's talking about, yes, we've got a lot of coal. And he says, uh, you can see how much of coal we are, the, the, the harbors are virtually chock or block this exporting coal to the U.S., to the U.K., to Germany and so forth. And the, you know, the hypocrisy of the whole situation is that these are the same countries that have given Cyril Ramaphosa millions and millions of uh, dollars to go green. But they're going back to coal and they're taking choice coal from South Africa. And we're just giving it to them. And uh, Mantashe says, OK, I think we should reopen our coal mines and start, uh, you know, firing up again and, uh, you know, maybe supplementing our energy and so forth. Then uh, you find Cyril Ramaphosa and Praveen Gordhan uh, going against this man and telling him, uh, you know, maybe... There's a rumbling in the in, 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 in the party 
to get rid of him because he's going against uh, the dictates of the bosses. You know who I'm talking about, uh, Mahmoud? No, exactly. So, so you see, so I mean, like that's the sad part. Again, I mean, you know, they're having all these big conferences and all of it, but not to discuss betterment of the party and betterment of like delivering to the people. It's more about <laughs> what they're discussing is betterment for ourselves. How can we? secure our position and enhance our position financially, what can we do? So, you know, that's the like underlying motivation for all of their actions. And the minute there's somebody that stands up to say, listen, but that's not right. And, you know, what about, uh, you know, doing what is correct? Then that person is then obviously scapegoated and, and efforts are made to get rid of him. So, you know, this has always been uh, <clears throat> the way how politics works, unfortunately, that, you know, it's always going to be, um, you know, the, the rulers want to get, the best benefit, and they really don't care about everybody else. And, you know, we are now seeing this at its height in South Africa. And it's just, it's just, it's just, un, you know, it's just unfathomable that how can this happen? Um, and, and they are really like hoodwinking us all the time. And even though they, they keep on, you know, so it's a kind of a real uh, dichotomy. On the one hand, they say, no, listen, find the people who are doing wrong and let's take action, have them prosecuted. On the other hand, the wrongdoings are still continuing unabated. So basically they're using some people as scapegoats as a front to try and show that something is being done. But in the meantime, all the wrongdoings are still continuing. And uh, us, people of the people of, you know, of the soil, uh, we're still exactly where we are, you know, where we were. There's no improvement. There's no hope of improvement. Um, and we just see just, you know, uh, such a bleak picture ahead. I tell you, Mahmoud, if you want to laugh, you're going to laugh at this. Can you believe it? The ANC is marching against uh, ESCOM, uh, the load shedding. I mean, they brought the whole country into what uh, this rate is now, the ANC. But you find the ANC is going to join the march. <laughs> now, you, have you seen, I don't know what to call this. It's total like, I, they, what do they think of us, uh, Mahmoud? Well, exactly. So it's all just, again, you know, it's just to hoodwink us all the time. So they act as if they're caring, but they don't. They act as if they were the people, but they are not. So, so this is basically, I mean, you know, their whole uh, their whole strategy. They, if you just look at it, I mean, there hasn't been any any um, any action taken against those that were, you know, big time involved in uh, in corruption and all of that. There's just been talk about it, but there hasn't been any real action taken by the ANC to exclude uh, or to you know get people out of their of their ranks of people who are obviously involved in all of this uh, corruption and the like. So again, so that shows us that the true colors is that there's, there's affiliation to the affiliation to the party and to the people, but there isn't any commitment to the people that they ought to be serving. I think that's the, the real sad part. And I, and I just hope that we take lesson from this, that people who still, who still believe, listen, that there's some hope for the ANC, really there isn't any hope. I mean, they haven't, made one step of progress and it's just getting from bad to worse. Yeah, I think we won't be wrong if you say that the ANC is a judge, jury and executioner, Mahmoud. No, exactly. So again, you know, it, it's just like a case of like power madness. So they do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. And I think that's just, again, um, you know, it's just creating such a rot within our our country that it's just unreal. I mean, right now, I mean, they don't understand what harm and what consequences they are causing. So, you know, people who are running businesses are having extreme difficulty, especially people who are in production and people who use machinery. How can it be that for four up to six hours of a day that you can't use your equipment? And if you want to use it, you have to use alternate sources of putting in your own generators or your own inverters or whatever at such a great cost. So some businesses are spending like almost like 100000 a month just to keep the lights on. And the point of the matter is that this is a cost that they can't pass on to the consumer. So they need it just to keep their, their operation running. So the cost of running the business has increased tremendously. The pressures on the business owner now is becoming is becoming more and more difficult because now they have to now fight on all ends. Now you can imagine if you can't run your like production line, you have staff who are, who are obviously waiting who can't work um, and those staff need to be paid. But if you're not generating income, then how do you, ex you know, how do you expect them to make enough to sort of pay the staff? So now there's been talk that, listen, so now what are companies doing now? Companies are telling, telling staff, listen, we've got, to, we've got to find means to overcome this. And one of the means is that 
they're going to have to put the staff onto short time, which means that people are going to earn less, and that's going to have a, a kind of a ricochet effect because the staff won't be able to to meet their monthly commitments. Or the other alternative is that they now have to start retrenching staff because they've got too much of staff and they don't have, uh, I mean, like sufficient work to be able to sort of do that. And that again is going to have, you know, uh, the same consequence of people becoming unemployed, more people being affected, and that's going to have a, a kind of a problem. Um, so. You know, so so this load shedding is not just an issue of having no light. It's a matter of putting out lights, of putting out jobs, of putting out opportunity for like so many different people. And uh, the point now is that we have such a high rate of unemployment already in our country, and this is only making it worse. Um, and again, so unless something is done very urgently and very drastically to try and get us back um, at full power, I mean, it's going to have a kind of a like devastating effect uh, to our country. We have to obviously expect the lesson in the next few months. I mean, there's going to be more and more people who are unemployed. Um, and we know in our country, what does unemployment result in? in? In increased crime. And right now, crime in South Africa is at such a pandemic level that it's just like, it's just unheard of. I mean, every day there are incidences um, and it's getting from bad to worse. I mean, to the extent that in Johannesburg, uh, two nights ago, they were trying to rob the Muslims while making salat, you know, and mm. then... There was a whole shootout there, and people actually, I mean, got shot and died. So the thing is that it's it's it, you know it's reaching that level. So every um, every person becomes a target. So you're going to a place of worship. You're going there with spirituality, and with you obviously don't go there um, expecting to be robbed or or, or or to go there well protected. You just go there to, to 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 do what you have to do. And then now all of these things are happening. So it's just becoming uh, very very frightful now, you know. And the thing is that. The issue is that uh, the the robbers also don't have any kind of sympathy, no matter where you are, whether you're in a mall or you're in a mosque or you're in a church. I mean, for them, you're a target, no matter where you are. So, you know, it's that kind of thing. And, um, you know, the thing is, there's no law and order. There's no uh, proper protection. Um, and it's becoming very, very frightful. So even people who have got uh, alarms and the like, when there's load shedding, all of that loses its uh, Efficiency, so it means that the people are now exposed more and more. And for the robbers, it's just a time of just making hay. It's not normally the saying is make hay while the sun shines. Now it's make hay while there's no <laughs> there's no light. <laughs> so so it really is uh, you know grave uh, uh, you know cause for concern. You know, uh, Mahmoud. Okay, when uh, there's no load shedding, uh, uh, local businesses get affected. Then you're talking about this big uh, manufacturing plants. I mean, uh, they also are being affected and they're making a big hue and cry. I mean, these are massive investments. You know, talking about the motor industry uh, and you're talking about many other, you know, in, in investments that are in this country. And they are warning the government, if you don't get uh, or you don't pull your socks up, we're going to move out. Because we believe that the, our neighboring countries are gearing up and getting uh, the, the, the power supply or get, trying to get the uh, electricity and all in order. And it seems as if, uh, you know, this uh, rut that has started in this country uh, seems like someone else or someone is deliberately pulling the plug for us to go into this, uh, uh, you know, below, I don't know what grade, you know, so talk about substandard grade and uh, junk status or that status. Be beyond junk status, uh, Mahmoud. Yes, I mean, I mean like, that is quite true. And the thing is that, um, so remember now, you know, all these, like, the, the big enterprise that you speak about, they came to South Africa because, I mean, there was an availability of, of resources in terms of power, um, and obviously labor is, is, is also available. Now, if there isn't any power, um, that means that they have to now, obviously they have to meet certain production targets. And if they can't, they are going to be going to the neighboring countries because why? Neighboring countries are now... Uh, like you said, upgrading, and they have a constant supply of power. So, 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 and um, also it means that those countries can now offer these uh, these companies better incentives, um, and, and that's why it's likely that they can actually move there. And if they do that, you can imagine these uh, these companies employ thousands and thousands of people, and if they then become jobless, you can just imagine what the consequences are going to be. So really, the thing is that, um, you know, uh, Ramaphosa has to really take some drastic action. I mean, there hasn't been any 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 notion whatsoever from the government as to what they are going to do or what they intend to do. Again, it's just pie in the sky talking about getting money and let's let's go green and let's do this and do that. 
But again, there isn't any notion of, of, of you know, uh, why and how long will that take to, to implement. Uh, they're not even talking about our sort of nuclear plants that they established to give us power. I mean, that they spend so much of money there and that's not even properly operational. And that's supposed to be the kind of cheapest uh, way of creating energy. Um, you know, that that is the cheapest. So why don't they look at that and try and rectify that to be able to supply power? So again, if we take account of all of this and you say, but listen, logically, this is what you should be doing. But if you're not doing it, it can only mean that you have some ulterior purpose. And that's why you are not bringing on the lights. You obviously have got some other purpose at hand and you're trying to, to mm-hmm. fuel that purpose to the exclusion of what would be logical to do. So you're doing everything that is not logical, everything that is, is taking you away from resolving the issues. And I think that's the real sad part. Mamo, you hit the nail on the head. There is an agenda. There is an agenda. And then you find Nalidi Pando uh, telling USA as it is. Uh, she said, "You listen, you've been interfering in Africa and you've been causing discord all over Africa. Please lay off. Let Africa do what it has to do because Africa supplies the world with everything that you need. But you are destabilizing countries upon countries. And, uh, you know, I mean, very brave of her because, you know, what happens when you take on Uncle Sam? And secondly, there's this Russian, uh, you know, uh, delegation. I mean, Lavrov, he's, he's very high ranking. He's in this country. And one of the things he's discussing with uh, the ANC is uh, uh, the electricity crisis. And the Russians are prepared to start up, uh, you know, all these uh, different nuclear plants uh, to, to, to get the uh, you know, electricity and energy. What's your thoughts on that, uh, Mahmoud? Look, we obviously need some kind of outside intervention to help us to just sort of uh, cope with what our needs are right now. But, you know, again, with in all of these things come at uh, the underlying uh, rationale behind all of this. So if they're offering you help with one hand, we don't know what else they are they are trying to extract from you. So we, I mean, we wouldn't be, be told all of this. So again, so, you know, the papers make it easy. The media makes it, yeah, okay, here's, here's a helping hand. And we think, okay, look, here's a way out. But what do they want in exchange that we don't know, you understand? So remember now, I mean, Russia and the U.S., I mean, they, they, they always try and get some something extracted from whoever they give aid to in one way or another. So we just need to be a bit wise and say, listen, you know, the, 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 the African experience is there. Um, we've seen how Africa was, was sort of, to use a word like raped uh, by, you know, by the superpowers and they just continue unabated. So on the one hand, there is light at the end of the tunnel, but again, we don't know at what price is that going to come. So we just have to be cautious and we hope that, you know, that there is proper disclosure made that, you know, they're offering this aid and these and, and this is what they want in return or this is what we may have to pay back. So at least then we know because our... Our like deficit in the country is just increasing all the time. So we're just becoming more and more debt-ridden and there isn't any prospect of paying that. And that's why we go right down to the kind of like like junk status. Yeah, absolutely. So, Going into, into junk status, uh, Mahmoud. But what I want to know from you is, uh, you know, uh, America and all these other countries, uh, they're in dire straits also. I mean, they they in debts for trillions and trillions of dollars, but they're trying to still move on because they were riding or you know on the back of saudi arabia with the petrol dollar scenario and all keeping america a a superpower but now uh, saudi has done a somersault and uh, has gone uh, towards the chinese and you know and joined the BRICS. is this the end of america mahmoud (laughs) you know it's so difficult to say because you know world politics is full of surprises and so sometimes all of these things again are just kind of i mean like contrived again so Really, the truth of the matter is that we don't know. Yes, we know that America is obviously, I mean, in like deep like financial problems as well. Uh, I mean, most of the world is. China is the kind of country that has the most potential right now, but they also seem to be stuttering along now with, with all these issues of COVID that keeps on you know, arising there. So we don't even know whether that's something which is real or it's just contrived or they're making excuses you know, for whatever reason not to produce or to create artificial demands in the world. So, you know, again, with all this politics, it's just, it's always, you know, uh, one just has to question. So, you know, the the reality is that uh, what you hear and what you see isn't the reality. You just got to be cautious and, and try and see beyond what they're telling you. 
you know, so America is there. Um, and the thing is that, I mean, America will always have allies who will, will support them in one way or another. So we, we, we don't even know for the fact whether, you know, America and China, whether they, they have things going and China is assisting America and vice versa. So these are things which are there and we and something that we would never know about, you know. But you're right. I mean, you know, for a superpower to, 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 to also be undergoing the kind of things that we are having now, that so in the States also in terms of unemployment, it's at an all-time high. People are also having difficulty. So, you know, where this will all, what it will all culminate into, we just have to wait. And I think time is going to be the kind of best judge of all of that. Yeah, time will tell. And, uh, you know, Huck uh, prevails and falsehood will perish. And, uh, you know, we're looking at, uh, you know, we were talking earlier on about, uh, you know, load shedding and so forth affecting uh, uh, the, the employer and the employee. Now, what does the law say about, you know, bosses cutting pay because of load shedding in South Africa? You know, we, we empathize, we sympathize with the bosses and uh, the workers too. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult situation, uh, Mahmoud. But what the law says about, you know, if I employed someone, and I said, you know, look at load shedding. You can see my bakery can't make it because we're losing all the time. Uh, if you want to stay on, I'm going to cu- cut your salary and so forth. What the law say uh, says about that, uh, Mahmoud? So, so look, I mean, like generally speaking, uh, when you're employed, I mean, you have to tender your 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 services, and the employer is obliged to pay you for those particular services. So, if you've agreed on a on, on a wage or a salary, then that obviously has to be paid. Uh, because this issue of load shedding is not something which can be attributed to the employer. It's not something which he's created to avoid uh, the employee from working. So it means that, you know, the, the obligation of the employer remains that he has to pay the employee um, salary or wage that he's entitled to. Now, but, you know, the, the economic reality is that if a company is not generating enough money, um, to obviously pay that wage, then um, the alternative offered by the law is that either they then have to renegotiate with the uh, with the employee um, and to put that employee on short time to make it feasible for the employee to be able to afford that, or alternatively, if that's not going to work, or if the employee is not willing to go on short time to accept less salary or whatever, then the other alternative is to have them retrenched. Um, and again, so if there are like operational requirements which don't enable a company to operate at optimum level, um, then, you know, that is an option that they're going to have to look at. Um, so it is, uh, uh, you know, uh, an issue which is there. Um, and, and, you know, so there's no other way that you can actually deal with it. So a company won't just be able just to willy-nilly subtract and say, look, take this or, 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 or sort of hit the road. But they'll have to follow the labor protocols, um, as I've discussed now. You know, for them to um, take the matter further. Jazakallah uh, for that, uh, Mahmoud. And then you find a President uh, Cyril Ramaphosa signed into law the General Laws Anti-Money Laundering and Combating the Financing of Terror Terrorism. Yeah, Terrorism Amendment Amendment Act uh, uh, 2022. Now, Mahmoud, you know this is a significant step. That's what they say towards addressing identified deficiencies in the anti-money laundering and combating terrorism financing laws and so forth. And the amend, uh, as I said, the amendment will be executed in two phases. But the reality of the whole situation here is, uh, first, they should check the president out about money laundering and all that, you know, Hello. the pala pala. Mahmoud, can you hear me? Mahmoud? Okay, uh, maybe we're having uh, some uh, gremlins coming through. Mahmoud? All right, as I was saying uh, that uh, we having okay. Did you get me, Mahmoud? I mean, I think uh, now and then we have the gremlins coming through. But you, you can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Yes. Okay. Uh, the anti, uh, you know, this uh, this law that combating the, uh, 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 you know, the money laundering and uh, uh, combating terrorism law. This is uh, the law that has been uh, put into uh, place by Cyril Ramaphosa. As I was saying, he should be checked out first. And then you look at anti-money laundering. I mean, there's a lot of uh, uh, mafias in this country, a lot of cartels that are doing things like that. And, you know, this Anti-Financing Terrorism Amendment Act, I want to know about this. Uh, what terrorism? I mean, if you talk about terrorism, and we know what connotation, we know exactly what they mean by terrorism. Who's financing terrorism in this country? And uh, talk to us about this amendment, uh, Mahmoud. 
Yeah, so, you know, the thing is, I mean, you know, this all started after 9-11. There was this whole world uproar that there's money being uh, being passed from country to country to to arm and to facilitate so-called terrorist activity. Um, and, you know, after 9-11, that, you know, the, the whole world just created this whole impetus, a kind of Islamic phobia, to obviously be able to 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 now make inroads into control over over the world finance. So in reality, there isn't terrorism. In reality, there isn't anything to, to worry about. But these are just mechanisms, you know, for the governments of the world, for those in power to try and, and keep control over the over the like monies of the world. So they want to see exactly, you know, why is money being transferred, who's transferring it, and for what purpose. Um, so they know that there isn't, you know, it's lots of just economic activity that's taking place. But they use terrorism as, uh, you know, as, as a kind of an excuse to impose all of these kind of restrictions. So now businesses that are doing business must be wary of people buying goods uh, and, and, and they must be able to, 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 uh, to understand and, 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 and see what is the source of the money. People who are buying property, lawyers, uh, bankers, uh, accountants, all are obliged to keep an eye out. So we're all becoming spies for the state, and we have to now be, uh, find out that okay, if somebody is paying so much of money, uh, where what is the source of the money? Is it legitimate? Uh, you know, uh, where did it come from? What what is it being used for? Um, so they want to make us become spies, you know, for the government, uh, and to be able to report all of the sector. Now we have this whole FICA thing and, and and so forth, which is there. I mean, I mean, we can understand that for for a country, sometimes we have some kind of uh, financial regulations um it, it has got some merit but not to the extent that they are taking it to now where you know everything is is, is maybe suspicious to you you know so and and, and every uh money that's coming from overseas must be for some uh ulterior terrorist motive you know but so the thing is that uh, it's there and again these are all things that are called for by the superpowers like the us and and, and so forth because they want to um, have control um, over the you know all these like financial issues to see exactly how much money is coming into a country from where it's coming, and that they use for their own particular purposes. So, you know, so the reason that they're actually postulating isn't the actual reason. It's obviously got again ulterior purposes behind that. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, Allahu alam. That's why you know, Mahmoud. You know, the honesty of the whole thing. If you're an honest uh, broker, if you're an honest person, if you follow Islam. You know the way it should be followed. You'll speak the truth. Uh, you'll have you know you won't duck and dive. Uh, there'll be Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's blessings around you, and you'll be protected because you're a man that is uh, upright, and uh, you know you follow the Sunnah of uh, Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or the injunction of the noble noble Quran where it says Wa Rasul. Well, and you know honesty, uh, Mahmud, is the best policy. Your thoughts? Well, exactly. I mean, that's. I mean, that is that is uh, something which we has to be ingrained into um, every person of iman. That you know, honesty has to be my my way. That um, I know that I, I can't lie. I know that I shouldn't lie, um, and everything that I do must be done in accordance with the commands of Allah um, and the Rasulullah So, so that is there, and we have to uh, understand that. I mean, so this honesty, uh, you know, this must come. To every facet of our life. It isn't just in respect of commercial transactions or whatever, but in every respect. On your on the like domestic front, on the commercial front, you know, um on the in your interaction with everybody. So as Muslims we are social beings and everything has to be done uh, you know in an environment where there is total honesty and transparency. Absolutely and as Muslims uh, we should be the shining beacon we should be the light that everyone in this country say a muslim is never dishonest and alhamdulillah everyone will look up uh, to a muslim now you look at a uh, former public protector Tudi madunsela who says uh, who will tell those implicated in state capture that, that south africa sees them as en- enemies of democracy well that's the job of justice jondo i mean the zondo <laughs> some call him the rubber stamp of Cyril ramaphosa uh, Chief Justice uh, uh, Zondo uh, Mamu. Yeah, so you see, again, I mean, you know, so the issue is that, um, you know, it is clear that it, the, the way that they're acting, it goes against the normal principles of democracy. So clearly those that are involved in a corruption and all of that, that is being anti-democratic. 
but you know, at the end of the day, I mean, like, what is, I mean, like, democracy is, is again, it's just a kind of an ideal. It's not something which is perfect. But the thing is that we have to understand that, you know, these people must be, must be brought to book. Because if you're saying that you're anti-democratic and democracy says, well, look, then if you have done wrong, uh, then you obviously need to call on the like, judiciary to, to do their function. The person has to be prosecuted um, and then he has to be penalized um, according to his wrongdoing. So in our country now, again, I mean, it's fine to call them that they, 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 the enemies of uh, democracy and all of that. But the issue is that the enemies of democracy, which means that they are enemies of the people and therefore they must be brought to book. And I think that is what we need now. To, to We still haven't seen one example of, of, of a person being brought to book because of being corrupt or because of having stolen from the state or from the people. So that we're still anxiously awaiting, you know, like for that to happen. Again, it's only all this big talk, but you know what? There's no action. Yeah, absolutely. Big talk and no action. And, uh, well, the, I mean, the same people that, uh, you know, Mazen Sela says oh, these are the... Uh, uh, the, the the enemies of uh, democracy. Uh, you'll find that the, those individuals are uh, you know the so-called enemies are still collecting uh, the suspended or you know step aside rulings and implying, but they're still collecting a hefty pay pack or a salary at the end of the month at the expense of the taxpayers. And yeah, rightfully enemies of the people, but enjoying uh, the perks and so forth. And uh, then, you know, recently, I don't know, were you following the tiger that was, uh, that or the tigress that was running loose, uh, Mahmoud? Were, were, you, were you following that story? <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't too far from, from, from where we live, because I live in the southern suburbs, and it isn't too far from there. So, um, so I mean, it's, it's really uh, now becoming, uh, it's sort of becoming more, uh, you know, uh, becoming a, an issue of, so the person who was, uh, apparently mauled by this tiger is now uh, thinking of suing the owner for, uh, you know, obviously for the for the damages that he suffered, general his pain and suffering and his medical expenses and all of that. So, in law, I mean, like certainly, I mean, like you would have a you would have a claim. So the owner is saying now that the tiger actually uh, escaped because somebody had sort of cut a hole in the fence or whatever because they were trying to gain into onto his estate. Um, and he's saying, well, look, this, this isn't an action that, that I had done. Uh, but obviously, I mean, I mean that isn't a, a good enough excuse for him because you should know that if you're having um, wild animals on your plot, you must make every uh, effort to ensure that that animal will not be able to obviously get out of its secure habitat because you know that if that happens, that animal is, is likely to cause harm to others. So in this particular instance, um, I believe that the person who was injured, he, he certainly would have a good claim um, against the owner, um, you know, of the tiger. Uh, apparently, the tiger has now been put to sleep because they found that that would be the most uh, uh, feasible thing to do, having regard to the fact that it attacks some other animals and it also attacks a human being. So, this is the best to obviously put it off to sleep. But again, but the liability of the owner still remains, notwithstanding that the fact that the tiger is now no more. Um, so, people have to be very cautious. So, even if you have a, a normal dog, for that matter, and I mean, if that dog is not kept under control and it actually attacks um, a person, then obviously you as the dog owner can be held liable in terms of the law. So, one has to be, uh, one has to always exercise, um, you know, enough care to ensure that whatever is under your control is not uh, likely to cause harm to others. If you can foresee uh, harm, then you must take steps to avoid it. If you don't take those steps, um, you know, then obviously you can be held liable for that. Yeah, Ma- Mahmoud, that was a beautiful beast. I mean, tiger, tiger, burning bright in the darkness of the night. But anyway, very sad story indeed there. And, uh, you know, Mahmoud, when you look at all these uh, different, I mean, as you said, even if they put the tiger to the uh, euthanize, uh, uh, put it off to sleep, and uh, uh, the repercussions, I mean, the, the, the case will be taken on the quite a few uh, you know, lawyers came for, uh, forward and they told this gentleman, uh, you know, no, don't worry, we'll be there for you, we'll, we'll fight the case. And uh, what could, I mean, how much can you sue for millions, uh, Mahmoud? No, no, well, in terms of the law, you know, your, your, your damages must be properly calculated. So in law, there's two kinds of damages. One we call special damages, which is your actual out-of-pocket uh, uh, losses. So... Um, if, for example, the person had to pay medical bills, then he'd be able to claim that amount. If because of the injury he was unable to work and he lost income, he'd be able to obviously claim that. 
uh, if because of the injury he's now going to require future medical treatment, um, um, then obviously he can claim that. Um, and then together with that, we have what's called like general damages, which is what you uh, claim in terms of your pain and suffering and trauma and things like that. So again, it just depends how serious the injuries were and um, uh, and so forth. So it could become substantial, but um, in a case like this, here, fortunately for the person, he wasn't, uh, I mean, his injuries were not uh, extreme. Uh, it wasn't life-threatening um, from what I have read. So, you know, in that sense, uh, you would have a claim, but it wouldn't be a kind of a gigantic claim. So, okay, so uh, the law will be fair and just uh, uh, on that and uh, make sure that uh, people uh, don't abuse the system and so forth. Uh, but uh, as you said, that uh, the, the owner says, no, the fence was cut and someone did something. And uh, well, if they cut the fence, they should have reported that, uh, Mahmoud. Uh, no, yeah, they should have. But, you know, again, I mean, imagine, I mean, you can't just, if you're, if you're having a tiger or a lion on your on your property, I mean, just one fence is not enough. I mean, you obviously need to have some kind of other apparatus or whatever to obviously ensure that even if there is some issue with the fence, that, that animal can't just walk out. I mean, so, you know, that's a bit of a concern. Normally with these small holdings, they have... Uh, uh, kind of enclosures that are then surrounded by fences and everything else. So there is that there should be some kind of, of additional protective measures. We don't know the exact truth here, but uh, I don't know whether his story is something that's going to be telling because, I mean, if there is somebody trying to gain uh, access onto your estate and if they know that there's a tiger behind this fence, are they going to cut that particular fence? I don't think so. So <laughs> it just sounds a bit, it sounds yeah. a bit suspicious, actually. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Mahmoud, and, uh, you know, whilst we were advertising your composite, uh, there were uh, two or three questions that came in. But let me take this one here where a brother said, Asalaamu Alaikum, Brother Shafat, uh, I always enjoy your law shows. Your guests are always, uh, mashallah. Please uh, post this to uh, your attorney. I want to know if my neighbor is throwing his uh, cuttings of his uh, uh, tree branches and grass and so forth into my, into my yard, what can I do legally? Uh, good question there, Mahmoud. What can you do? Because he got looks like a neighbor that's using his yard as a dumping yard for, for for his, uh, you know, trimmings and so forth. Yeah. So so there's there's like two scenarios. One is that um, so if you have a tree that's growing on your property and that tree is now, uh, uh, it, it's sort of uh, uh, crossing the boundary into the uh, into your neighbor's yard then that basically in terms of the law is, is not permitted because you are now encroaching um, on your neighbor's land. So to the extent that the tree or the branches are uh, protruding or uh, you know going onto his property, he can ask you to obviously have those branches trimmed um, to avoid that happening. So so that's so in this case here, so that could be the case. If that is the case, you would have recourse against the person to ask him to have the trees trimmed so that there's no encouragement on his property. On the other hand, if it could be that the tree is on, is on the neighbor's side, but whatever falls off the tree, the neighbor is simply picking it up and dumping it you know, onto his side. I mean, that also isn't, I mean, that the, 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 the guy would have protection against that because you can't use your, your, your neighbor's yard for sort of dumping. I mean, that is not something which is permitted. So the neighbor would have recourse, uh, you know, in this instance, uh, in either instance, he would have recourse against his neighbor. Yeah, it's such an important. So, in thing terms to... of the recourse that he has, he may have to, to uh, yeah, he may have to do the civil action to 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 ask the court to if he doesn't uh, uh, remove the encroachment after demand is made, then one can go to the court to obviously enforce that right as well. You know, it's such an important thing to have a good rapport, a good relationship with the neighbours, and in certain uh, instances, uh, you know. Uh, I had uh, quite a few people come up to me and said, hey, you know, I had neighbors uh, that does this and that neighbor irritates me and that. And then you report them to the local CPF and they take up the issue. But then a bad blood uh, develops, uh, Mahmoud, and that is uh, it's, uh, not a healthy way of living in a neighborhood. Your thoughts? No, no, exactly. And the thing is, I mean, you know, especially as Muslims, I mean, uh, we have such a great responsibility towards our neighbor. Um, the, the Prophet even once said that he was he was concerned that Allah Ta'ala may say that your neighbors may must even become inheritors in your estate, you know, to such an extent and to such a great uh, status neighbors are given. So, you know, again, we, we are living under very stressful conditions. And I think to have uh, a dispute with your neighbor just makes it worse. 
because now you're coming home and neighbors are actually meant to be there to, to assist each other in times of need, um, um, you know, in times of uh, whenever there's good times in your house, your neighbor must share the occasion with you. Uh, when there's weddings, you invite them. When there's funerals, they'll be there to assist you. Um, and when you're away, they'll, be, they'll keep an eye on your property. So it's important to have a good rapport with your neighbors because really, um, how can we live um, you know, in conflict with our neighbor? Because then it means a person would never have peace. But to help us because we are having like so much of conflict. There's many issues, like you said, the neighbors from hell and people just can't see each other and they're fighting mm-hmm. over silly things and neighbors dumping uh, goods and dirt on each other's property and doing, I mean, like very, very, I mean, like silly things. So um, as Muslims, you must understand, listen, neighbors are important. We are told to uh, treat them with respect, to, 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 to keep good ties with them. And that is what we must promote. Mahmoud, I'll give you full marks for that. You know, you remind me of yesteryear when, uh, you know, I mean, the neighbors were like family. They used to walk in and out of each other's houses. And as you said, if you were going for Hajj or Umrah and there was, you know, no family members around but your neighbor, the neighbor said, don't worry, give me the house keys. We'll take care of it. We'll put the lights on. We'll put it off and we'll have our uh, 24-7 protection. You didn't need the security company. Yesteryear was funny. It was, I mean, it wasn't funny. It was wholesome, Mahmoud. Comments? No, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, so that is something which we obviously need to, again, to, to sort of promote. Uh, I mean, again, I think that we just lived in an environment before that was so conducive um, to being friendly. We live in close proximity to each other. Um, and, and, and like I said, each, everybody's door was open for, for, for everybody else. People would come and go freely and there was always a helping hand. Um, today, I think we're living in bigger houses with bigger plots and we and we want to be as far far away as possible from our neighbors, which is quite a sad state of affairs, you know. So it has to be listened, that we're the community, we live together, um, and we must actually assist each other wherever we can. I think that has to be the spirit of our deen, and that is, inshallah, that can only bring goodness. I tell you, uh, Mahmoud, you brought a lot of goodness uh, this evening on uh, Legal Talk. Really enjoy with your spirituality and uh, with your experience that uh, you really add uh, for brilliant broadcasting on the platforms of Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Your parting words uh, this evening? Yeah, I think, again, we just part and we said we turned to Allah SWT to, to, to help us in this crisis that we have. Um, I was reading uh, a thing the other day where I think at some point in time in Medina Munawara there was a major fire and people were concerned and they asked the ulama, listen, why are we having these difficult conditions? And they said, well, it's because of, you know, of the sins of people and to overcome these conditions, we need to make more istighfar and turn more to Allah Ta'ala and go more to the masjid, to the places of mercy where Allah is, is great and to always remember Allah. Um, and I think this is what we have to do now. That really, the thing is that we all we all can see what is happening around us. We all believe that we've got solutions, but the ultimate solution rests only in the hands of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and we can only turn to Him because He is the only one that can change any condition. So every condition comes from Allah Taala. So we know that. So there's some there's apparent causes, but we know also that sometimes we need to look beyond the apparent cause and say, is it us? Is it us as Muslims? We degenerating so much. We've got to turn back to our Allah and ask Him only to rectify the situation. So inshallah, we all make effort in that regard. Inshallah, then there'll be fear that will come out of that also. Jazakallah khair, uh, Attorney Mahmoud Mia. Really enjoyed you this evening. Allah keep you, Allah bless you. And uh, inshallah, we'll meet uh, soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Time for us to go to the, uh, yeah, for the Isha Zahn. And inshallah, we will continue after that.